The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. All truly epic podcasts begin with epic music in the background and a dark, tortured voice. This is one of those podcasts. This is Totally Super. (laughs) Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. I'm going to be talking like this for the entirety of the podcast. Which is going to be about five minutes. I give you permission to it's really, And we're done. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way that that continues. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, today we we are doing the Lego Batman movie. Um, a movie that has no right to be as good as it is um and just and like the original I, lego film was yeah i i you know it's interesting the the original lego film um was i still i think it is still underappreciated i think that the original lego film nobody had any expectations go right, it's the lego movie like doesn't it see doesn't it feel like a cash grab i did initially i think i mean i feel like where it is in our current like cultural mindset is at least amongst my friends everyone's like oh yeah no that movie was truly phenomenal like it oh, was, it was. No, it was when no, it was underappreciated when it came out. I feel like in you know the the popular mindset right now, it actually is getting the credit that it deserves as being a. It's worth noting. Film. It's worth noting that the original Lego Movie did not get nominated for best animated feature. Um, not even a oh, nomination. That's true. Which is really problematic for me because I think it's really like really really good. Um, mm-hmm. and it's worth noting that this movie also did not get nominated for best animated film, which makes me ask, what does it take to get nominated? for best animated film in, I mean it's in, not like it's not like the number of uh, films that you've got to choose from is a particularly it's not a deep pool that you have to that you have to select from yeah I mean it's it's like honestly for a major gonna, animated for a major animated film to come out in a given year and not get nominated that actually strikes like that's actually kind of a ding against the animated film often so the the films uh, that were nominated that year were Moana My Life is a Corget uh, which I've never heard of Kubo and the Two Strings which I've heard wonderful things about but haven't seen oh it's wonderful Zootopia yeah. which Zootopia which was pretty good and the Red Turtle uh, which I've never heard of um yeah I would say Moana's Moana's probably better um Kubo and the Two Strings is is groundbreaking and I'll give that to it and Zootopia had had important things to say culturally, right? It, it was it, it was a movie about inclusion, and I like movies about no, inclusion. No, the the three the three films that you just mentioned, I thought were magnificent on a bunch of different levels. Um, but uh, yeah, not, but there's two other films made me in laugh there this that much. neither of us have heard of. Yeah, and none of them made me laugh this much. I mean, I I just mm-hmm. want to put it out there: none of them made me guffaw. Uh, and and I haven't seen any of them as much as I've seen this film on on repeat viewing. So it makes me wonder, like, does this film end up falling into that trap of all superhero movies uh, where they never get nominated for for best picture until this year, actually, when uh, Black Panther was finally nominated? Um, yeah, the uh, no, I think uh, that's something. It's one of those. It's all of these films are seen as great examples of pop art, but not art with the capital A. Yeah, um, um, which is what nobody should ever call you. Um, the, get it? Because you're Arthur. I, get it? I see that. Uh, well, no, that's especially uh, true because my, because my wife, Kelly, her brother's name is Art. And, uh, oh, no. the, when, uh, oh yeah. And when he found, when we first started dating and he found out that she was dating an Arthur, he was livid. Uh, he was like, there can only be one Arthur in your life. And so, but she, she achieved compromise by saying, no, you're Art. He's Arthur, <laughs> which is why it is, man, do not call me Art, uh, at a family gathering. I've seen, it's I've seen, I've seen one or two, I've seen one 
one or two people try and call you Arthur or call you Art in the in the years I've known you, and mm-hmm. and you almost immediately are like um it's Arthur yeah. like you like you're, now, you're you're not down for being called Art at all. Well, and and for that we can probably thank my friend Amy who I did theater with in high school who was a wonderful person who I kind of had the hots for and who insisted on calling me Artie Farty and uh, oh so that's here nice. we are twenty years later with issues. <laughs> Um, uh, the Lego Batman movie, um, is, I want to talk about, rather, I want to talk about superhero movies, uh, being lauded, uh, just because this is the day to do it. We are recording this, uh, on the Wednesday after the Academy Awards, where not only did you have your first superhero film nominated for Best Picture, but a superhero film won Best Animated Feature, um, this year with, uh, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. Um, mm-hmm. so I think there's room, finally, I, I think that there's room, finally, for these two be appreciated as 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 art and that art can happen within them um mm-hmm. i think that the lego batman movie i don't think it's a work of art I, i'll say that it's not as much of a work of art as the the lego movie it is trying to do something i would agree different. with that it's cool yeah. it. but man is it fun um mm-hmm. uh so so let's just jump right in uh the lego batman movie came out on january uh 29th 2017 it had a budget of 80 million dollars its box office was 312 million dollars with a running time of 104 minutes it stars will arnett zach galifianakis Michael Sarah, Rosario Dawson, and Ray Fiennes, not vo- not voicing Voldemort, who is also in the film, um, which was so weird. Have, I loved that. Um, uh, it's um, again, it's the Ready Player One of of Lego movies. It's just about getting every IP that uh, Warner Brothers has the rights to into a film. It is uh, it is so chock full of things, and the only way that I can get to those things is to say, Arthur, can we please have a plot summary for the Lego Batman? Okay, here we go. All right. The movie opens with Lego, ah, with Lego Gotham City in trouble yet again. The Joker, along with virtually every other villain in the Batman canon, has planted a bomb to blow up the structural supports below the city, threatening to send its inhabitants into the screaming abyss over which it rests. It's important to point out that this is Lego Gotham City, not Gotham City, because Lego Gotham City apparently rests over a screaming abyss. Batman shows up in the nick of time, and, to the beat of a self-aggrandizing song he wrote himself, he saves the day. In a showdown with the Clown Prince, the Joker says that he is Batman. Batman's greatest enemy. Batman counters that he's not really doing villain relationships right now, and that the Joker means nothing to him, which clearly upsets the poor fellow as he escapes. Batman returns to his Batcave and Batmansion, where a montage shows just how alone he is in the sprawling complex. His butler, Alfred, encourages him to try and make meaningful connections with others, but he insists he needs none, before heading off to a gala downtown celebrating Commissioner Gordon's retirement. On the way to the gala, Bruce Wayne watches a news report on how Superman sent General Zod into the Phantom Zone, a parallel dimensional prison. Joker, as it turns out, is watching the same broadcast. At the gala, Bruce is approached by an orphan, Dick Grayson, Bruce's biggest fan. With a personality equal parts endearing and annoying, Dick asks if Bruce would adopt him. Bruce says yes, but that's only because he is distracted in a lovesick manner by the entrance of Barbara Grayson, the new commissioner. In her speech to the people, Barbara indicates that it's time for Batman to start working with the police, instead of on his own. At that moment, the Joker crashes the party with all of his villain cohorts. But even as Batman prepares for battle by master building one of his many vehicles, Joker announces he is surrendering, and all of his villain cohorts are surrendering too, although it's clear they weren't aware of that last part. With the Joker and all 
the other supervillains safely at Arkham, the city, su- the city suddenly has no real need of Batman. But Matt- Batman is convinced the Joker is up to something, and the only way to stop him is to confine him to the Phantom Zone. He plots to steal the Phantom Zone projector from Superman's Fortress of Solitude, with the help of his newly adopted and completely expendable ward, which he just remembered that he had, although it's been like a whole week, Dick Grayson. They sneak into the Fortress of Solitude, where Batman realizes that all of the super friends are having a party explicitly without him. Then Batman coaches Dick Grayson, calling himself Robin now, through stealing the projector. The dynamic duo then smuggle the projector into Arkham and send the Joker laughing into the Phantom Zone. However, turns out that doing so is unbelievably illegal by constitutional law, and the new Commissioner Gordon has no choice but to lock them up in Joker's place. The Joker, once in the Phantom Zone, enlists the help of all sorts of other truly super baddies, like Voldemort, Sauron, the Daleks, and really, like you said, any other intellectual property Warner Brothers had access to. They escape the Phantom Zone and return to wreak havoc on Gotham, forcing Commissioner Gordon to release Batman to save the city. There is a titanic battle in which Alfred, Gordon, and Robin all assist Batman in fending off many of the villains. (laughs) Many of the Valentines, that's what I was saying. Uh, In fending off many of the villains. But just before the climactic showdown, Batman locks them all in a bat vehicle and sends them far away, insisting, he works alone. He faces off with the Joker, and again insists that the Joker means nothing to him. The Joker says he now understands that Batman's never going to give room in his heart for anyone else, so he's moved past it. He then sends Batman to the Phantom Zone himself and plants another bomb to destroy the city. In the Phantom Zone, Batman is treated to a montage of all the times he's driven people away, leading him to realize that, as Phyllis, the Lego block uh, Phantom Zone security guard says, you're not exactly a bad guy, but you're sure not good. Batman convinces Phyllis to let him return to save the city. This time, he fully enlists the help of his friends, admitting that he kept people at bay for fear of the pain of losing them, just like he lost his parents so long ago. He succeeds in the end, but only by actually convincing the Joker himself to lend a hand, admitting that of course his hatred for the Joker is what gets him up in the morning. It's really very endearing. The film ends with Batman acknowledging his new family of sorts. His surrogate father, Alfred, his adopted ward, Dick slash Robin, and Barbara, his totally platonic and that is sincerely totally fine friend. And in the spirit of all superhero films about dark vigilantes driven by a tortured past, the movie ends with a dance party. Fiend. That is quite, so it's, you know, that it's worth noting that, uh, that, that plot synopsis took an enormous amount of time. That was a, that, that was a four and a half minute plot synopsis because Oof. this movie has a lot of plot. There's a lot There's going a lot. on in it. It's so funny. I was like, oh, this movie's only 104 minutes. This plot synopsis isn't going to take that long. Oh my God. So I want to start off with, uh, with telling you, uh, a, a repeat of the villains in the movie. This is a quote from Joker. Your city is under attack by God. Gotham's greatest criminal masterminds, including Riddler, Scarecrow, Bane, Two-Face, Catwoman, and let's not forget Clayface, Poison Ivy, Mr. Freeze, Penguin, Crazy Quilt, Eraser, Polka Dot Man, Mime, Tarantula King, King Tut, Orca, Killer Marth, March Hare, Zodiac Master, Gentleman Ghost, Clock King, Calendar Man, Kite Man, Cat, Kite Man, Catman, Zebra Man, and the Condiment King. Okay, are you making some of these up? Nope, they're all real. Probably worth a Google, which I did. Yeah. And yes, yep. they're all they're all absolutely real. Well, um, when you've got a hundred years worth of Batman comics, you kind of need to, you, sometimes you got to really scrape the bottom of the barrel. So so let me just put this out to you. Is this the best Batman movie? Um, No. Uh, okay. In the, in the sense that it's what it is. Is it the most Batman I, movie? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's the it. Look, there are some sometimes there are satires that uh, function by being they both parody the art form that the, they both parody the thing that they're you know their subject matter, but also become a really good example of the subject matter. Uh, a mighty scream wind being the most um, yeah or scream yeah, scream yeah. scream being a tremendous example of that. Uh, a mighty wind. All the folk music in Christopher Guest's A Mighty Wind is both hysterically funny and really good examples of what folk music was like in the 60s and 70s. Um, this is this film is a satire. I do feel it, it is a very successful satire and it is a very moving satire at parts. This is not just a strict comedy. Um, but I don't feel like it both satirizes Batman and uh, epitomizes you know, and uh, and uh, and definitely is a Batman film in the sense that, you know, for the most part, at least the Batman that I grew up with and everything, there is a darkness to the Batman genre. Now, this movie does a tremendous job of sending up that darkness, but it doesn't then come back around and embrace the darkness as well. If that I guess sense. that's true. That's true. That's that's a true that's, that's a true statement. I think that. It's interesting where we are um, in the Batman mythos at this point. We are, uh, I believe, we're post Batman v Superman when this comes out, aren't we? When did Batman v Superman come out? Yes, we are post Batman v Superman because there's even a uh, there's even a scene in Lego Batman that shows him in the the bat armor he was using to fight Superman. Yeah, um, Batman v Superman came out. Yeah, just eight months before this. Um, so we are in the midst of people, you know, being surprised that Affleck turns around and is a good Batman in what is a bad Batman film. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Batman has taken his hits at this point. It's interesting to look at Batman. Um, so is, is this the first Batman movie we've done? I'm not wondering, have we touched yeah. Batman before this film? Oh, there's nope, going to be so much, so, so much yeah. bat to talk about. Um, I mean, this film was uh, definitely a, it was not a repudiation, but it was certainly a send up of the Batman Begins trilogy. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think we have a, we, we are in a spot with Batman. It's worth noting. If you look at the, the Nolan verse trilogy, the the Batman Begins trilogy, um, it was the height of of success. It was you know they they spaced out their movies. It was every three years. It was they were well respected until the third one really, um, and even the third one was just inferior. It wasn't hated. Uh, they were considered artistic. You know Heath Ledger's Joker. All of this was wonderful, um, and they went from being tentpole events to now Batman has shared the screen with Superman in a film that didn't do all that well. Um, and and he's about to share the screen with five more people um, in a film that's going to do even less well. So Batman's star at this point has fallen. He's gone from being the guy to see to being um, a guest star in a in a group movie. And I think mm-hmm. that you have you 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 have this coming up in the middle of it, maybe to accentuate the the silliness of of Batman and trying to have a little bit of fun with Batman. Because frankly, we're at a point where when's the last time Batman has been fun, and that's that's uh, really worth Justice asking League. that question. Um, the uh, you thought, in you thought- the animated series in Justice League, the or certainly it has fun with him. Um, his darkness, you know, his his individuality and everything is it is played for laughs at a few points within Justice League. Um, there's a fantastic uh, there's a fantastic scene where because uh, there's some 
there is some uh, romantic tension between uh, him and Wonder Woman. And there's this nice scene of the two of them talking about it. And Diana asks, just like, so, you know, essentially saying, do you think there's ever a chance of this going anywhere? And his response, and I think it's still Kevin Conroy who's voicing him, uh, essentially says, yeah, that's not going to happen for two reasons. One, I don't really do partners anymore. Two, I have issues. Lots of issues. And he just does it with such, yeah, it's, so again, it's, and you know, it's not that the character itself is, you know, look at me, I'm super happy comical, like in uh, the Adam West version, but the meta sense of Batman in uh, Justice League, the animated series, there is an awareness of, yeah, we all kind of acknowledge that he's the dark figure in the room, and sometimes we have fun with that. Yeah, um... Uh, I think that the other place where people are having fun with Batman, it's worth noting that the Lego Batman game um, came packaged with the Xbox for years Ooh. with the Xbox 360. Um, so I own two copies of the Lego Batman game and I played it because when I first bought my Xbox and I had no other games, that's the disc that came with it back when you use discs. Um, and, and so I was already familiar with this as a concept of Lego sending stuff up. And I, you know, we, I've played Lego Lord of the Rings, which is not that funny. I played the Lego Star Wars and Lego Harry Potter, which are hilarious games, actually. So Mm -hmm. I kind of understood what you're starting with. And then you go through the Lego movie and you get, you know, it's worth noting, this is a spinoff. Lego Batman is in the Lego movie. Um, and, and so they they did this film because Lego Batman was sort of like this breakout unexpected story star of the first film. Well, I didn't want this film. I I loved the Lego movie. I wanted a sequel to the Lego movie and I was like, "Ugh, Lego Batman? Like really Lego Batman?" Like I I know I had zero desire to see a Lego Batman movie after the first Lego movie. Now I have since seen the second Lego movie and I can tell you, I definitely prefer the Lego Batman movie to the sequel to the Lego movie. Um mm. I think that the Lego movie is made lesser by its sequel. And I think that the spinoff the Lego Batman movie is so much its own thing that it really works. Um, yeah. Uh, what got me from the first moment of the film was the way that it is sending up Batman. Um, and certainly there are there are, you know, silly jokes in there, too. Like like the 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 what is it? Clown clown what clown no, snake clowns. Snake clouds, yeah, snake clouds. There are funny jokes in that too, but there are, um, it asks the question, instead of just being a silly comedy, which it is, it does ask the question, what is Batman really like? Um, it is in its own mm-hmm. way an inver- an inversion of the Dark Knight trilogy, which is what would it be like to be Batman in the real world? Um, that's the, the question of the, of the Dark Knight trilogy. This goes one step further and goes, yeah, what is Batman really like in the real world? Because he's kind of he's kind of gross, um, like mm-hmm. the real Batman, if you really thought about him. And I, I kind of dig what it's saying about him with loneliness, about how like he is a, I've never considered Bruce Wayne to be a pitiable figure. And yet this doesn't change Bruce Wayne all that much um, to turn him into this. And I think the, the shortness of the trip to this version of Bruce Wayne is really interesting. I don't think there's that big of a leap from uh, it's not Christian huge, Bale no. to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, well, I, I think it's, I paused I mean, so you can talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, what? oh, it's my turn now. Um, I 
I, I mean, yeah, sure. Let's dive into it. I think the, the central thrust of this film, much like the Lego uh, film, is it is built around a core of a very real, uh, of a very real major dramatic question, a very real issue that all of us wrestle with. Um, and I think that's what made both of these films so successful, is they were never just comedies. They were, at their heart, there was some real uh, thematic gold. And the major dramatic question in this film is, why is Batman alone? Why does he insist on working alone? Um, and the obvious reason from the very beginning, it pretty much, it, like this was a film where right from the beginning, I could absolutely predict the realization Batman was going to be having at the end of the film. Um, and what it comes down to is a completely understandable thing of if you've got a kid who lost both of his parents at a young age, he is not, you know, and felt, you know, the, the emotional trauma that comes from that. He is not going to open up his heart to anybody else. Um, what I really liked with this was at the end when he was in the Phantom Zone, sort of seeing how it was that he drove everyone else away. Um, for the longest time, and this is not just in this Batman film, but other ones, there's this, in a lot of superhero films, there's the trope of, oh, I need to be alone because that's protecting other people. You know, other people can get, you know, I'm in a dangerous line of work. Other people could get hurt. Therefore, I can't have connections and relationships. Whereas uh, at the end of this film, that question kind of gets turned around and saying, okay, but are you really doing that just to protect other people? Or is it that you're protecting yourself from the emotional pain of loss when people that you care about could potentially get hurt? Um, and I think that is a that is a cool additional layer to uh, lay on to the question. Um, so what this film comes away with is the answer to that overall question, which is, yeah, people around you are going to, at some point in time, bad things are going to happen to them. They're going to get hurt. We are all of us going to lose loved ones in the course of our life. Um, but the answer to that is not by shutting down. You have to instead lean into it uh, and embrace all aspects of it. I mean, this is far from the only film or story to uh, to end with that message, but this film does a good job of conveying it. I think what this film adds to Batman, um, which is valid, is ego. Um, a lot of ego. Uh, Raging narcissistic ego, yeah. And it's. I think it's worth exploring that uh, that the way that the Christopher Nolan films got away from ego is they kind of, there's not a lot of bat in those films. I mean, if you were to take away the bat helmet, you would barely know that that film had anything to do with bats. There are no bats going mm -hmm. around in that film. Maybe occasional batarang. Uh, but he says that, yeah. you know, he wants to scare people with the bat. But let's be clear. I don't think that, you know, once Batman's operated for a year in Gotham City, nobody's scared by the, the visage of a bat anymore. They don't think mm -hmm. he's a bat or some kind of demon. They know he's Batman. And in the comics and in every other Batman movie except the Christopher Nolan trilogy, there's a lot of branding going on with Batman. He's yeah. got batarangs. He's got bat wings. His Batmobile looks like a bat. He's got, you know, everything is, is bat this, bat that. He wears a big bat symbol on his chest all the time. Um, and this really asks the question, like, who does that? Who mm -hmm. thinks that that Batman is awesome and should be, you know, billboard Batman, which is essentially what, what Batman is in the, like, you, you, you whistle past it, right? You go, okay, well, it's the comic. So, of course, he has a, a bat-shaped plane. Um, but in reality, who does that? Somebody who thinks that Batman is the best. Batman is the biggest fan mm -hmm. of Batman um, because I think yeah. Batman protects Bruce Wayne, frankly, in this film. Um, and I think that the addition of the ego that it would take to be that into your own branding. I can't think of any superhero who is that into their own branding this much. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, Superman has some things, but not a ton. Like his, his I mean, you know, the big red S isn't plastered on a whole lot. Yeah. 
I think there's one time in the Superman movies where Superman throws a big S at someone. And it's my least favorite. It's in Superman 2. And it's my least. And it's the dumbest part of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we are totally okay with, you know, when in when the Michael Keaton Batman movie came out, we were totally okay with his jet looking like a bat. And our favorite Batmobile, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is everybody's favorite Batmobile the one from the 1989 Batman? Uh, it's certainly um, my favorite Batmobile. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't know if it's still there, but it's in the uh, it's in the uh, Smithsonian Museum for American History uh, in downtown D.C. So I went down I went down there a few weeks ago, and you know I go I like to go down every couple months if I can. Uh, and uh, I didn't realize it was on the bottom floor, so I walk in and there's the Batmobile. And I'm like, no way! <laughs> um, That's a cool discovery. So yeah, um, it's my favorite museum in D.C. If you get a chance, this is the one everybody skips, and it's my favorite one. It's awesome. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, so you you can ask yourself who would brand that much uh of of batman who would think that batman is worth plastering the city with and then you just take to the next stop yes he also raps and he also does heavy metal guitar which is amazing um who never Mm. pays his taxes you know it's awesome it's so good (laughs) i have i i will admit to having driven down the road with that song playing like blaring out of my it's a good song it's a good song um, I mean, it is one uh, of the uh, it, it is one of the unfortunate truths uh, in the artistic world that sometimes your absolute best uh, music, artwork, film, sometimes your best creative genius, period, comes from people who are absolutely 100 percent obsessed with themselves. And it's sort oh, of yeah. like you feel like uh, you, you, you don't want to reward that. And yet at the same time, in order to have the guts to truly create something groundbreaking, at the end of the day, you really do need to have a very good opinion of yourself in order to have the courage to do that. Um, I think that this film, while it while Batman is clearly the greatest thing about this film, and he is like every moment he's on screen, I love. Um, I want to throw just a little bit of of you know of notice to Batgirl. Um, you know, it's it's a very forward thinking uh Batgirl, which I do like in this day and age. It's good to see a Batgirl who is that forward thinking. Um, especially in the midst of you know of the the Killing Joke movie came out right around this time too, where not only does Batgirl can get completely fridged, she doesn't die but she just gets shot and paralyzed um mm-hmm. but they've decided they decided in that in in the movie version of the comic book to add a sex scene with uh batman and batgirl um which oh, always man. bothered me um i mean here's the thing uh, with the killing joke like so the killing joke was alan moore right yeah um alan moore brilliant writer in a lot of ways not exactly known for being the least misogynistic writer on the face of the earth um That's fair and the fact that 20 like so the original killing joke comic is profound and groundbreaking and yes, very problematic in ways that are easier to forgive to the extent that it's like this came out 25 years ago. Um, the fact that when they were making the movie actually <laughs> took the took some of the problematic issues of the comic and said, you know what, let's double down on these. Although I'm sure that wasn't like their their conscious intent. That's certainly what came across is uh, that was a really unfortunate choice. Yeah, um, but I'll give it to this movie for for making that, you know, Batgirl. Um, the Joker's fine. You know, I really like Zach Galifianakis, and I don't think that he did a bad job with the Joker. I think he was, he was fine. He was, he was. It could have been Mark Hamill. Um, he it sounded like he was doing Mark Hamill's Joker. Um, but mm-hmm. 
can can we give super props to Michael Sarah um for making Robin oh, yeah. my favorite Robin by far that I've ever seen mm-hmm. is this Robin um hey hey dad hey bad dad it's amazing it's amazing and to, yeah. and to think I've never seen anything lean into the father son relationship between Batman and Robin and if you think about it Robin is a child and Robin yeah. the child his dad you know when it says his ward Bruce Wayne is pretty much his dad and yeah and I've never seen anything lean into it but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on 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 what you thought of that relationship and what you thought of Michael Sarah uh, doing the role because I, I I loved it well, I thought it was per- and the and the Rastaf- and is- the Rastafarian thing uh, for Robin's outfit was was brilliant just a, an amazing pull yeah go for it yeah um, well first I'll say I think it's uh, you know I think it was a very good choice of them not to go with some of the you know the standard cadre of voice actors like Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy for these because by doing so they're very much saying look I I, I mean in today's day and age when it comes to animated films like it's kind of in a, at least in geekdom uh, it's sort of accepted Kevin Conroy is Batman Mark Hamill is the Joker like those are you know they are enshrined um, by not using any of those what they were essentially saying is look we're doing something completely different this is just our own take on it this is a spin-off this is like it's a it's like a totally alternate universe Batman from the Batman that is the currently popular one now which also goes into why I wouldn't say that this is the quote-unquote most Batman film that's ever been made um but in terms of what they did with the relationship it was I mean it was a lot of the the arc that Batman went through was very surface level the whole you know realizing what it's like to have pride as a father um you know it wasn't particularly deep uh it was more sort of you know they were painting with primary colors in that emotional journey but they were and also literally (laughs) bright primary colors yeah and also literally um but at the end of the day for 104 and for a 104 minute animated film um nothing about the arc felt forced that's for sure um i i felt for robin in this film i wanted robin to get the satisfaction of of the relationship with with bruce i think robin would be better off with barbara maybe or with you know maybe with alfred um mm-hmm. uh, but i i so dug the performance specifically like just just michael sarah i feel like michael sarah is underappreciated um and people think that he's not that good because he does this one thing and the, just because the way his voice is um and i mm-hmm. think uh what's his name who ended up being uh who's the guy in the social network um uh, who's like lex Luthor? Yeah, the, you know he, the, guy, about. the guy who always gets yeah the guy who always gets uh, confused with mike Sierra. oh my gosh yeah how do i so know, he, know his name yeah. jesse jesse rosenberg is that his? jesse jesse eisenberg jesse eisenberg uh, yeah that um, sounds about right yeah um is a is a better actor than michael Sarah, and so i think because they have similar looks and similar tones of voice i think that michael Sarah kind of gets forgotten um uh but i think that michael Sarah, i've seen him do like uh, scott pilgrim which we have to do and i've mentioned a bunch of times is one of my favorite films um and he will always be scott pilgrim to me for his ability to play this sort of detached this this emotionally needy detached but emotionally unavailable character um mm-hmm. leaning into that as as robin being so emotionally needy um just created a character that is all at once funny and pitiable but also like someone that i am empathizing with surprisingly um so we've talked it's actually like, we've talked, go for it there's a no you make a good point there because michael Cera's normal uh modus operandi is a combination of tremendous emotional vulnerability that is protected behind a wall of self-aware cynicism yeah, um he's but this is different there is literally zero 
zero cynicism to Robin. Everything is, you know, everything is uh, emotionally forward, and he is just open and vulnerable and hopeful about literally every experience. Yeah, uh, I am, so this I, is actually, it's a, it's a different take for him. It's a perfect piece of casting. It's a perfect piece of casting for what they were going for. Um, so we've talked about this movie in a serious terms, but that's not what this movie's for. Uh, I want to be clear. That's no. not what this, this movie is, is the, you ever go to the candy store, like in the mall or, you know, down at Baltimore Har- Harbor or something where, where they, they've won there called, uh, called, I think it's called sweet, uh, that you go in and it's just like, you can pay like per pound. They have it at theme parks, like at Bush Gardens and stuff. You like mm-hmm. pay per pound, uh, for any assortment of candy you can get, whatever candy you want in like in a bag you put a scoop in you know what i'm talking about and it's oh, like yeah. f- like five five ninety and they weigh the candy out and you usually just get like a tablespoon of each candy so you get like eight mm-hmm. gummy bears and four sweet tarts and two gummy worms and two chocolate pretzels to the point you have like a pound bag of like 70 different kinds of candy that's what mm-hmm. this movie is to me it's just like reaching into the bag and one little delight and then a different little delight and a different little delight this movie is about throwing sweets at you um and I I adore it for that. I adore like scene by scene by scene, the Justice League scene. And then, I mean, we can, can we just jump like nearly to the end when we get all the villains um, and the introduction of all the villains? I am having such I, and maybe I've realized I am the target audience for, for this stuff because I love Ready mm-hmm. Player One, too. I love just going, hey, yeah. look. <laughs> I just like it. It's the uh, it's it's celebrational postmodernism. Um, it's it's kind of akin to uh, you know, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. The the rampant joy in that film of hey, look at this pop culture icon that we love. Look, we're throwing it into the movie. Yay! Uh, it is a very I mean, postmodernism. Uh, I'm going to butcher the original definition of it, but it was a form that was basically uh, it was a way of taking a bunch of different uh, disparate uh, ideas or intellectual properties if you will, and just sort of throwing them all together as a means of commenting on them. And frequently what that meant was sort of cynically dismantling a lot of the, uh, you know, the core sincerity behind the original stories uh, by essentially sometimes commenting and saying, look how similar these things are, you know, the uh, whereas to me, celebrational postmodernism. And I would and I would say that this film has that, that this film has traditional postmodernism, isn't it? Specifically when it comes to when it comes to the the traditional Batman, right? This film is going, hey, isn't it kind of dumb what Batman is yeah, and does? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like going, going is it, it's ridiculous. What Batman is and does is yeah. ridiculous. Nobody likes him. Nobody would like him. He's kind of a jerk. And and yeah. if you read this movie is saying, I guess postmodernism would you could say is is them going, if you really think about it, it's and then whatever your criticism is. That's postmodernism. Yeah. Now, the thing is now certainly. But on an emotional level, I don't feel like this film is an argument against uh, it's not an argument against Dark Batman. It's more just sort of pointing up the, uh, I guess I'm sort of forming an idea right now. Postmodernism is about pointing out frequently flaws and inconsistencies in, you know, beloved myths. Um, however, there's a couple different ways you can go about it. You can point out the flaw and the inconsistency to say, look at how we, we shouldn't be following this because look how flawed it is. Um, or there's a style that says, hey, look, look at these flaws and inconsistencies. We love them anyway. Actually, possibly because of of some of the stupid stuff that goes on. Like, here's the thing. If you if you created a Batman film now that did not have some certain level 
of that self-aggrandizing darkness to it, um, I would actually be kind of disappointed. I'd be like, okay, this might make more sense, but it's not Batman. Uh, so I, I, I I'm going to... In, in, emotional, in emotional tone, this film still celebrates all of the uh, all of the quote-unquote flaws that it points out. Um, I, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to split the difference with you there. Um, and I do want to, I want to let you round back around to celebration of postmodernism and the, and the referential postmodernism that you were talking about. I'm going to let you circle back to that, but I will say this, that this film, um, I think maybe you're, tr- so I think Scream is the celebration of postmodernism where it goes, you know, it, it calls it straight out. Your horror movie troops are tropes are dumb. Nobody would do that. And then the characters in Scream are forced to do that. They li- literally, mm-hmm. they can't go outside the house because when they step out the side of the house, they lose like phone reception. So they have to go back in the house to call 911. So they're forced. Yeah, you're to right. Do the that things. is, gosh, the more you mention it, the more I'm like, gosh, that movie is a profound example of how satire can be the best example of its own genre. So I think that this, when it comes to Batman, um, I think this is absolutely destructive to Batman, actually. I think that anyone who's seen this film, um, I, I don't think it's very forgiving of Batman afterward. And I think that when you get to Justice League, the movie, for instance, there's some making fun of Batman now. Like like you go from mm. from you go from Batman v Superman, where Batman leans into the darkness. You know, you, you know, do you bleed? You know, is 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 Batman v Superman? And then by the time you get to Justice League, what's your superpower? I'm rich. You know, dress like you dress mm-hmm. like a bat. I dig it. You know, I mean, that's like it's. It's suddenly it's been pointed out how silly Batman is. It's been it's been, you know, my word of the month is codified. I love the word codified right now. Um, but mm-hmm. it's it's co- it's codified the silliness of Batman. Suddenly you're aware of it. You can never go back. To uh, it. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. You you mean codified? It's, sure. It's not codified. Yeah, I, I actually I have no idea if it's codified or codified. Oh, I, no. I, I legit have no idea. No, <laughs> I'm looking it up right now, please. I, I just I just uh, want to I just want to make it clear to the podcast world. I've always said codified, but I have no idea whether that's correct or is not. This is, this is interesting here. Um, if I look on, on dictionary.com, um, it, the mm-hmm. phonetic of codify is listed as both codify uh-huh. and codify. Well, we're both right, friends. Both. Yes, for once, for once. But where I where I think that I am <laughs> right is I think that this in much the way that, that, that South Park specifically ruined Family Guy for me, um, that mm-hmm. I thought Family Guy was funny until South Park sent up Family Guy and said, hey, if you look at Family Guy, this is what all its jokes are. And I, mm-hmm. from that moment forward, I tried to watch Family Guy afterward and I realized that their joke had been deconstructed to the point where I, I it wasn't funny to me anymore. And South Park destroyed mm-hmm. it. I think that there's a little yeah. bit of destruction going on to Batman. Uh, in this movie, I think that I can never look at Batman seriously again, uh, or at least I don't think I can after this movie, because this movie has called it straight out and said, it's kind of ridiculous what Batman is doing. I it's could see that. I, I think maybe for me, because this this movie was not the first time that I saw that done with Batman, that it didn't hit me in exactly the same way, but I could absolutely see that. Like, I still remember randomly watching on TV one day, I was channel surfing and came across like, um, it was, they had a brief running animated uh, series of like Crypto, the super dog, uh, you you know, uh, essentially super, it's the adventures of Superman, super dog. Um, and the episode that I happened to watch was Crypto the Super Dog is joined by uh, a, a random guest star friend, Ace the Bat Hound, who is, uh, well, Crypto is this, you know, white, happy, friendly Labrador retriever. And he's got his friends and it's all like happy go lucky and everything. Suddenly Ace the Bat Hound is this very stoic Doberman Pinscher who just sort of stands there. And there's this scene in Central Park, essentially, where Crypto is introducing Ace to 
all of his friends. And uh, the bat hound is so out of place because all of the other dogs are like being friendly and barking and everything. And Ace is just standing there being very dark. And like even the other dogs are like when they're saying, oh, so you're a superhero dog, too. Well, that's cool. Like crypto can fly and he's super strong. And what what do you do? I'm a detective. Like it is clearly done for comedic effect. It's a tremendous send up. And I absolutely adored it. Um, and like I was saying with Justice League as well, they they do send ups in there. Um, so I guess maybe I was more used coming to this film. I had already sort of inured myself to the concept of, yeah, the darkness can get kind of silly at points. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's I absolutely. Absolutely see why uh, once you realize that it can be hard to go back to that's true. I love Batman. I will never be able to take Batman 100% seriously again. I completely agree with that. I don't want to say never. I want to say there's a way to do this, <clears throat> which is to play all the same beats from this in a serious way. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that's something I, I have not seen done with. Batman. I've yet to see the um, the psychologically damaged Batman. I still haven't seen him. Um, you know, Christian Bale seemed driven, but he didn't. So, so, okay, yes, I'll tell you, I have seen him, but it's not Batman. Do you ever watch Arrow? Do you ever watch the show Arrow? Yeah, every now and so, then, yeah. Um, so I am, you know, I am a huge fan of Arrow. I watch, I've seen every episode up through the last season. I watch, haven't watched this season yet. Um, but Oliver Queen in that show is essentially a version of Batman. Um, it's like they're mm-hmm. doing Batman without doing Batman. Um, yeah. And seeing Oliver Queen as a, as a person trying to balance the two lives and who does actually drive people away who want to be close to him and who is you know that that version of a a batman who is emotionally haggard i i've seen batman be i've seen christian bale be emotionally haggard by the circumstances of the story but not by his own inability to function um and that's a version of Mm -hmm. batman they could do where 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 you know a serious version of batman is the protection that bruce wayne puts puts on to protect himself emotionally i think there's a version of that Mm -hmm. that could work so i don't think he's destroyed batman forever ha batman forever um but i don't think you could ever go back now to i mean i think he definitely wrecked the ben affleck batman because they tried to do it differently and then it didn't it didn't work out um Mm -hmm. uh but to go back to celebration of postmodernism we were saying the you know there's deconstructing the art and the legends of the past and then they're celebrating it and tell us a little bit about that and how this movie exemplifies that celebrating it is it's it essentially comes down to the thing you said in uh you've said in previous podcasts the idea of as a kid growing up didn't you just love the idea of saying okay who would win in a fight this hero or this hero um there is yeah memes in general frequently you know one of the one of the delightful things things about, you know, the internet memes frequently is they will, you will take two completely divergent, uh, divergent, um, IPs or ideas, things that have nothing to do with each other and throw them together. And there is a delight in finding the similarities and the relationships. Um, sure. I, I remember like when one, one meme that I, I remember when Wonder Woman ahead. came out, uh, that, that they would go, that they said, oh, finally a strong female character. Wonder Woman came out and then underneath somebody put a picture of Buffy and it said, really? And then somebody took that and you could clearly see somebody underneath that added to it and put a picture of Ripley and said, really? Yeah. And then you could tell that somebody took that image because the fonts are different. And as you can tell, this is being slapped together. And there's a picture of Janeway. And it says, really? And it just like by the by the end, it's like seven. It just kept going. I remember. Yeah. Katniss. Katniss Everdeen was in there. And that's and yeah. that's it. That's that is the fun of it. Um, the uh, and now here's the thing. So this film was definitely shooting for that. The celebrational postmodernism, the introduction of each of the villains, that moment of introduction. I was absolutely kidding the can kid in the candy store. Um, oh my God. Here's my the one. 
gremlins. one tiny the gremlins. The gremlins. <laughs> yeah, the gremlins were. The, here's my one tiny quibble with it is that I actually in the big, you know, climactic battle where all the villains got used, I actually didn't feel like there was enough of the payoff of, and I think it's because each of the villains that they were throwing in were so, you know, you've got Voldemort and Sauron, and, you know, these were such phenomenal titanic characters in their own right, that suddenly you kind of had to shoehorn a whole bunch of them in to like a one five to ten minute sequence. So I kind of, like, it's sort of like, if you if you grab um, you know, a Jolly Rancher, and you know, like a soft Jolly Rancher, and some Reese's Pieces and uh, M&M's and like Rolos or something and you put them all in one handful and then just you know throw them down your throat. Yeah. You don't get to enjoy each of those individual candies. Um, now there could have been a way but like now they could have I think done a way in which you know each of those characters each of those villainous characters um, you know brought their own strengths to the Joker's plan and you know had their own little moments in the sun of their own right but to do that would have distracted probably from the overall main arc that they were going for you it probably would have introduced bloat into the film like so even though emotionally i was like a little bit oh i kind of wanted to see them do more i totally understood the reasons why yeah i mean i think that i i don't know that it's entirely fair to to call it out as being as bad as that handful of candy that you're describing um because i i was enjoying just the just the, the sheer thrill of of seeing all these characters just appear um, and who's going to be next? Like, it's like it's it's not quite mm-hmm. like opening your Christmas presents, but it's like pulling stuff out of your stocking where you're like, oh, look. Oh, yeah. Oh, the look, intro- no, oh, the, that's the thing. Oh, look. The, <laughs> the introduction of each of the villains that that was a part that I absolutely 100 percent adored for that exact reason of like, the oh, my gosh, who are they going to use? Oh, my gosh, they did. It's the same reason why I so enjoyed the introduction of all the alternate Spideys in uh, Spider-Verse because yeah, you're wondering um, who's going to who's next. Yeah, that's um, I, I would put it more akin to. The opening of Ready Player One, where because the alternate Spideys, they all get their payoff. I guess that that would probably give you the experience that you seem to be looking for in is the alternate Spideys, where it's like here's five and they're all cool, and then you're they're all going to pay off. What I'm getting out mm-hmm. of it is the you know, and there are people who have legitimately criticized Ready Player One for this, but I loved it. Um, the hey look, it's you know just for a second. Oh look, it's the DeLorean. Oh look, here's this. Oh look, here's a monster mm-hmm. truck. Oh like 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 I just I love that stuff. I got it. Admit, like, and I and I get that it's popcorn. Yeah, no, and, and that's get, a like that's I, the I, I, a way it's, I, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, I was saying, <laughs> um, the uh, okay. So sorry. <laughs> We're all right, and show is done. Good night, everybody. Yes. Uh, all right, real quick. The it's exactly Jay and Silent Bob strike back. The moment when uh you know the moment when the villain whose name I will not say because this is a PG podcast today. Um, you know when the villain in the movie reveals himself at the end and punches through the wall and literally the words flash on the screen hey kids hey it's, kids. Mark, it's Hamill. mark hamill applaud that is like to me that is the platonic form of what you are describing and yeah it's a tremendously delightful moment yeah um but the the quote for sauron that i love i looked it up he's a nine thousand year old incarnation of evil evil with an eye for jewelry give it up for sauron i just <laughs> it's just it's it's really 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 good um and i really mm-hmm. enjoy it um uh smiles on my face maybe it's after that point when it gets into the action i'm a little bored i get a little bored when it actually becomes the action part of the action movie um and and the story is so i I would agree with you on that they they stop with the jokes the jokes stop coming rapid fire and we get the story which is fine it's rope for us let's keep in mind we're we're 
now you know just we're, we're we're both of us you know just a few years away from middle age and and these are stories that are wrote for us because we've seen them a hundred times but your target we audience has not these yet, paths many times before yeah but but your target audience has not they become wrote because you see them a hundred times and this is time number three for the target audience this movie so people like us who've seen these notes before are gonna get bored you know i'm never gonna have that experience i had or, or kids today will never have the experience i had watching dead poet society for the first time because that's the first time i saw that story was the dead poet society mm-hmm. but i'm certain that you know that if you showed that a kid that today and they'd go okay well that's that's a great movie it reminds me of these other 13 movies that are about the inspirational teacher and these five tv shows that have come so it's wrote for mm-hmm. you know everybody has every generation has their first experience of this and i think that this is just fine in in that regard for to give people that experience but for me it gets a little road at the end i get a little bored um but mm-hmm. it's still you know it, it's still pleasant enough and it gets to the end the credits have you know again a wonderful rap song um which i i love the closing rap songs uh closing songs and if you haven't seen lego movie 2 it is inferior but goodness does it have a song um that is that rivals everything is awesome um uh for its catchiness it's called catchy song that the the chorus of it is this song's gonna get stuck inside your this song's gonna get stuck inside your this song's gonna get stuck inside your head it's (laughs) And it's it plays like a hundred awesome. times in the movie, and you go away. And then the credits, they have a, another Lonely Island song in the credits of uh, the Lego Movie Two, where they literally the, describe the credits that you're watching, and that's all the song is. That's even awesome. down to the uh, even down to the names. You know, the credits are the best part of the movie is essentially four minutes of that as the credits are rolling. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but as as Lego movies go, um, I would put this right. I mean, I, I guess we can get to our 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 final thought. Then um, on a scale, yeah. on a scale of one to five batterings, uh, what would you give <laughs> uh, the Lego Bat vehicles? Uh, what would you give the uh, Lego Batman movie? I would give this a very solid four. Um, not so much. It didn't really do anything groundbreaking. Um but just in its execution, uh, like there's no real major flaws I can point to in the film. Um, I certainly enjoyed it, like with its pacing and its character work and everything, I enjoyed it more than just your average. Oh, like again, for a three for me as I walk out of the theater thinking, okay, that wasn't a waste of money. Um, like this one, I, I enjoyed it, had a lot of good moments to it. I was, yes, the, the arc of discovery that Batman went through, it was for those of us who have, you know, who are familiar with these stories, it was very predictable. But it was still very well executed. And again, I actually would have probably been more disappointed with the film if they hadn't. Uh, like once they introduced those major dramatic questions at the beginning of it, and I was able to predict and say, OK, this is the realization that Batman is going to have at the end. Um, had he not had that realization, I actually would have been more disappointed with the film, even though it would have surprised me. Uh, so between some great acting, uh, some very cool cinematography, the animation is delightful, just as in the Lego movie. Um, we haven't even done the shout out to what I thought was one of the most brilliant things in uh, taking a movie that necessitated having guns in it, but then making them much more sort of like emotionally harmless by having everybody shout pew, pew, pew when they were shooting, Um, which also plays for the sense it was also an homage to that's how we would play with Legos Mm -hmm. when we were kids. Like if you were having, you know, a plane that was shooting after the Lego bat, uh, the Lego bat plane, you'd be going pew, 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 he shoots him down. Um, So I kind of, you know, there were a lot of really clever 
for things in that. There is absolutely enough in this to make it a solid four batarangs in my book. Um, You say that there's nothing groundbreaking in this film. I'm also going to give it a four, but I'm going to disagree with you on that. Um, What does a film need to do to be groundbreaking? Uh, This film, I've never seen a movie like it before, um, and I have not seen another movie like it since. You can compare it to the original Lego movie, I guess, in its rapid fire tone and its use of Legos. Uh, but this is, uh, in the superhero genre at least, this is a film that stands alone. Um, it, it stands by itself. I'll grant you that. As, 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 as completely unique. And in a, in a, in a genre where, like, our list of, like, we can't even keep up with how fast superhero movies are coming now. Like, we really can't. Like, it, in saying we're going to make, you know, every superhero movie ever made, when we decided to do this, I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, it's a self-limiting show eventually. Well, given that, especially now, and I'll talk real briefly at the end about what we're doing, um, like, superhero movies are coming out faster than we can do podcasts about them right now so to say that mm-hmm. that that there's this one that stands apart um, as being so very different and again much like spider-verse you could it could have just been a cash grab um and instead it's this good it's this funny the people like almost you know it's interesting here's an interesting thought um you know there was an assumption maybe by the filmmakers that it was going to be seen as a cash grab and i wonder that about Spider-Verse as well and like almost like a like the gauntlet's been thrown down to them like okay we know that this is in fact a cash grab and because we know that we have to fight that we're going to make it even better we're not going to phone it in as opposed to let's say the Lego Movie 2 which doesn't seem to have the same amount of thoughtfulness or like Ice Age 2 or Ice Age 3 where they don't care about whether or not it's a cash grab this one seems like it would be very easy to get cynical on this I was cynical on this before it came out and I feel very much like the filmmakers were like okay we have to win over that cynical person it was Um, undeniably still a labor of love yeah yeah it was absolutely i would say um you know i asked the question at the beginning is this the best batman movie what if i would turn this around and go is this the best movie that has batman in it because the only one that can compete in my mind in terms of just quality of film would probably be the dark knight and then i have a special place for batman that was the one i was thinking too yeah i have a special place for batman Um, 89 and my favorite one is always going to be batman returns because it's so it was so weird and for its time um I, but- I feel like the genres here are so the, the the emotional tone and the genres and what you are looking for out of the movie are so wildly different that they're kind of hard to compare it's like saying okay is remains of the day better than lord of the rings they're and both i don't want to say i don't want to i don't want to say better they're- but if i were to if i were to go desert island and go hey you can only bring one batman film with you this might be the one mm. this might be the one it's gonna be batman returns or this just because there's a i think it's got a rewatchability that the other ones just don't I think that that I could watch I could I I watched this just the other day having watched it keep in mind I have children um, I could watch this right now. If if somebody put this on, I would go, yeah, I've shown this. I can't think of how many animated films other than Spider-Verse I've done this to. I had uh, my friends Jay and Devin came over um, over New Year's and they had never seen this. And I sat down and said, oh, wait, no, it's better than you think it is. Here, let's watch the opening and I'll just show you how funny it is. And I sat there for probably 15 minutes before, before Mrs. Jay comes up and goes, hey, um, we have other things that we need to do because I just got into watching it on my phone, as did they. Like, I, I evangelized for mm-hmm. this film this is this is like i think this is my desert island batman film if i must have one so um okay so yeah f- four 
Um, and I may give Dark also, Knight Desert ra- Island Batman. Great name for a rock group. Yes, it is. I was going to say it's it was my favorite alt 90s uh, grunge band. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that is it. I think that so. So everyone understands what's going on right now. You've uh, the last couple episodes. You heard the ads for the Kickstarter. For those of you who gave to the Kickstarter. Uh, thank you. Um, we uh, we ended at 150 percent of our goal. So uh, so the film uh, cancellation is being made. The downside of the fact that the film cancellation is being made is that uh I am, you know, I'm, I'm directing it. And uh, that puts me at the top of a list of, of like 18 people that I'm in charge of. And they really require me to, to be working on the film. So getting this one in um, was difficult and it's probably going to be every week or two, uh, or it's probably 10 days to two weeks in between episodes uh, while we're shooting, which is through the month of March. Uh, I think it's safe mm-hmm. to say that our next film is going to be Captain Marvel. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that, absolutely that, safe. That, that, so I would imagine um i we i we, i always want to do night of release captain marvel because more people listen to united release we're probably going to be looking the tuesday or wednesday after it comes out because i don't even get to see it that weekend because we're shooting you know i'm shooting my own movie um so mm-hmm. so uh so um after uh after we get through like the second week of april um i will be back on a regular schedule and we'll be doing this on a more regular basis but if there's a little bit of a break between guys that's why um and for those of you who are helping support uh support uh the latest uh, end light pr- production I appreciate it. Um, so that is it that's totally super for this week do you have anything you yeah. anything you would like to, pr- to to plug anything that's going on with you this week Mr. Arthur N- no pretty much I'm just sitting around waiting for you to be done with your movie so I can continue the podcast with you because I enjoy it so much oh I miss you too sir oh, all right no, guys it's, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's um, all- no there's not there's nothing I'll, I'll be the first to let you know when a major project comes up my way uh, right, cool. But uh, until then, I'm Arthur. And my name, we're doing this backwards. My name is Justin. <laughs> and my name again is Arthur. That's right. We got to do it. We, we've got, we've got to honor the trope now. And hey there, true believers. Stay Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Always be Batman. All right. Always be Batman. Unless you could be Batman. Always be Batman. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment.